Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME-CE credit. Ryan is your last patient today. He has chronic low back pain with sciatica and has been treated in his younger days with intermittent opioid use. But now he manages the pain with NSAIDs and uh, heat packs on his back. Physically, he's very strong and he has a normal BMI. He owns an excavation company and runs heavy equipment uh, six to seven days a week. He works very hard. His aunt takes a medication to help with the tingling in her feet from her diabetes, and she swears by it. He wants to know if he's a candidate to take a gabapentinoid for his chronic low back pain. Do you think this will help me? Hi, this is Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Joining me today to discuss the role of gabapentinoids in the management of pain and other conditions is Jill Terrian, Associate Professor and Director of the Nurse Practitioner Programs at the Graduate School of Nursing at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Jill, what a great article. Thanks so much for coming today. Thanks for having me, Frank. Um, before we get too much into the depths of what this article said, can you tell us a little bit about um, where are gabapentinoids used effectively? What's the best evidence and what conditions do they seem to help? So originally, the gabapentinoids were anti-seizure drugs. And um, what they ended up using them for now is for uh, post-herpetic neuralgia. That's what their indication is for. And when I say post-herpetic neuralgia, I'm not talking I had it two weeks ago. I'm talking three months more of, of pain and symptoms from a herpes outbreak. Okay. And so that's primarily what gabapentin is used for. There is also uh, pregabalin that has an indication for um, diabetic neuropathy and also fibromyalgia. Oh, all right. So um, let's talk about those drugs. Um, are they effective? Well, that's what our study talks about. It actually, um, they pulled together um, a compendium of studies that ranged from randomized controlled trials to very small studies, and it included about 4,200 patients. And what they found is the off-label use of gabapentinoids is huge. Uh, they even give some stats that in the last four years, the amount of money that has been spent on them and also the increased number of patients that have been put on them. They give a 10-year look. They give a four-year look as well. And it, it's quite compelling. So do, do drugs in the gabapentinoid group, are they effective for all these things? Are they effective for patients with pain in sciatica or for fibromyalgia or diabetic neuropathy? So that is really the big question. So what they found is um, very weak evidence to support the use of gabapentin for diabetic neuropathy. Only pregabalin is actually indicated for that. They have really little evidence to support any sort of neuropathies that are non-diabetic, yet they are in use. They also, low back pain and sciatica, like our, like our patient Brian, um, largely negative. It, it has not helped patients. And really minimal evidence to support any clinically meaningful benefit of off-label gabapentin use for fibromyalgia. 
And again, pregabalin is the one that is indicated for that. So, but both of those gabapentinoids are approved for post-herpetic neuralgia. And however, they're both often used for acute zoster pain, of which there is no evidence to support that benef benefit of their use. So, so of the conditions you just described, pregabalin has two indications, one for diabetic neuropathy and one for fibromyalgia. The data on its efficacy is very weak, and the data on using gabapentin for those conditions is extremely weak. Yes, that wow. is correct. So, and for low back pain, neither are terribly effective. Right. Chronic low back pain. Okay. Right. So how did this happen? Why are providers using gabapentinoids in patients so commonly now? Well, it's proposed as, I think, a lesser, you know, a lesser option for patients that you could prescribe opioids to or possibly people that are on opioids for any sort of chronic pain. And, you know, I think that it, you know, it, I want to say it caught on because it's looked at as a drug that is, has less side effects than an opioid or an opioid and a benzodiazepine together. Mm -hmm. And you will find that this is prescribed with patients that are on opioids and benzodiazepines or it's used in a substitute to, you know, prescribe to patients that would seek out opioids and to try and treat their, their chronic pain. And the bottom line is it's not a class of drugs without side effects that could actually hurt patients and may not even help the symptoms that they're coming to you for. Well, it sounds like there's no data that shows they're clinically effective. What are some of the adverse effects of gabapentinoids besides their costs? Somnolence is, is one of the side effects, and you will find ranges of doses from these drugs from you know 300 milligrams all up to several grams that patients are on in a 24-hour period. And so you can have dizziness from it, and if you're looking at your patient population, who has diabetic neuropathy, right? Usually an older patient, you know, geriatric, they can be on multiple medications. Uh, in, in this article, it talks about a patient that was on 12 medications. This was one yeah. of them and came in <laughs> to the hospital because they fell and had an adverse event from that. So, I mean, dizzy, and it can also make you unsteady on your feet. So... The people with diabetic neuropathy that you're going to put on gabapentin, you know, does not come out, does not come without risks that really need to be discussed and weighed. Number one, benefit and monitoring of, you know, when you put these patients on these drugs. So it, they're drugs with very, very little benefit, if any, and multiple risks, including cost and drug-drug interactions and somnolence and falls and so forth. All right, well... We, we've got ourselves a challenge. We've got a patient who doesn't want to be on opioids. He's got to keep functioning. He works very, very hard. What are we going to do for Brian? What do you suggest? I'm going to explore a few things because Brian has been to physical therapy, but it's been a really long time. So I'm going to talk about the benefit of, you know, uh, number one, preventing his pain and, and injury and also seeing if possibly uh, another round of physical therapy, even if to go over, um, some of the uh, newer techniques to help him strengthen his muscles and his core. He's in great shape, but he's a hardworking guy. And you'll notice he's your last patient of the day because he can't take time out of his excavator to come and see you. So he really can't have any downtime. And that's a lot of our patients. They can't take time away from work. So I'm going to talk to him about prevention. 
You know, what is he doing? Is he getting good sleep? Does he have a good man? All the things that you talk to patients about to protect their lower back when they have a chronic condition that keeps coming back. And the thermal applications, what's better for him? Heat, ice, both. Um, and then the NSAIDs, I want to talk to him about how much you're taking. Are you taking it on an empty stomach or with something on your stomach? Are you drinking enough fluids? And, you know, to talk about all the preventive act activities that he can do so that he doesn't have any downtime. And then if he does start to feel it, because you know chronic back sufferers, they can feel it when it's coming on. They, you know, they might wake up with it. I think uh, I was recently at a talk where uh, the speaker was probably in his 60s, and he said, I'm now at the age where I can go to bed at night and wake up with an injury. And that, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very true um, because you might just sleep wrong or in the wrong position or maybe your mattress is old and you have a lot of stress going on, and you wake up in the morning and you go, uh-oh, it's aggravated. So I'm not in my 60s, and that happens to me as well. <laughs> well, Jill, thanks so much. I think it was, it was eye-opening to me to realize that gabapentin has so little evidence of a benefit in many conditions it's used for, and it makes perfect sense that we, we shifted our attention away from opioids to something that's relatively safe, but it's not beneficial, and the adverse risks certainly seem greater than any potential benefit. And, and I don't want to ding people that, that use it um, and, and feel it's an option for their patients. The only thing I would say to that is put them on it, but also monitor is it making an improvement? And that, that's the main thing. And if it's not, take them off Get of it. Get rid of it. Yeah. Thanks again, Jill. Thank you, Frank. Practice pointer. Gabapentinoids have limited evidence of benefit for many conditions where it's commonly used. Its off-label use can be initiated in your patients, but please monitor them for adverse effects and discontinue them if they provide no benefit. Join us next time when we discuss the 2019 Endocrine Society guidelines on the diagnosis and management of osteoporosis. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast and see you next week.